Good morning, fellow Gunners, and welcome to another episode of Cannon Talk. I'm yours, morning, my course as usual, Aiden. How's it, guys? Arsenal take on Brighton. Arsenal, you know, needing teams to do favours for them so they can get into the Europa Conference League. Just um, For me, I was just hoping to get, you know, into Europe, probably having a chance of taking silverware. But yeah, Arsenal coming to this game with no real pressure on their shoulders. And, you know, as as they've been doing since they um, lost to Villarreal, they've been playing a somewhat more of a freer game. Mm. Yeah, pressure's off. But, you know, back to the uh, match. Um, you know, the Gunners in front of a 10,000-strong crowd. I mean, with things kind of getting back to some sort of normality. Um, Arteta then opts for the 4-2-3-1 formation. And as you said, in that little run that we've now had, that's actually been also the big difference now because uh, he's now kind of stuck to this formation, not making too many you know drastic changes. And I think that as we were complaining about last weekend, we it also will boil down to you know analyzing the season later on in the, in the podcast. But that constant tinkering also you know messes up the whole balance of the squad. So you know the game kicks off. Arsenal already on the front foot quite early. Emil Smith row forcing Adam Webster to make a decent block. What was your take on the first five to ten minutes of the game? Now you could see Arsenal were playing with this um, freedom. They played with intent. They they played with more confidence. And I you ask yourself, you know, where was this um, all season long? But you could see the difference with players playing in their proper positions. You know, Jaka coming to assist party in the middle of the field. You saw a more of a freer party and. I just think that every, like Brighton also, you know, I think they were on holiday already in their minds. They, you know, they need to do to stay up. So it was almost like you know, Arsenal were trying to push for that, you know, hope of European football, and Brighton, you know, had nothing to really play for. So, you know, Arsenal were were dominating the game, and you could see, you know, there was things happening, and it was a, a good brand of football they were doing. Yeah, I mean, what actually uh, sort of glimpse it gave. As Arsenal fans also was just it was nice to see also uh you know somebody like Thomas Party finally some to threaten the goalkeeper more. Yeah. <laughs> and that shot you're talking about, yes. Uh, I, I just I was surprised that the ball never ended up you know in Rose and it took a fan to hospital. So twenty six minute Arsenal, you know, lose the ball high up the field. Uh Brighton do a quick counter attack. And then I mean I was really already thinking, okay, yeah, we're going to probably go down, you know, one down through a sucker punch. Because at the moment, as they were surging forward, they had, in a 2v1 situation with Tierney, the only Arsenal player really holding them up. And I mean, for me, it was actually a moment in that game where it shows that sort of maturity that that uh, um, Kieran Tierney has. Because in that 2v1 situation, you know for a fact if it was, say, something like Gabriel or Aldi, they're going to make a decision and Brighton would not just you know do the total opposite of it. But what he did was he positioned himself so well because the, he was almost like making as if he would attack the player with the ball. But he also made himself available so if the cross should come in, he could still intercept. So yeah. ended up leaving the Brighton winger, you know, almost like in two minds, and he ended up just fluffing the chance. That, that, that's my future captain. That you know, hoping that he can. Yeah. Um, even Bobby actually leave eventually. I hope he gets the armband and, and stays for Arsenal for a long time because he has that typical Scottish no nonsense approach, which we, you know, miss across the pitch in the team. Yeah. So the 27th minute, Thomas Parton ends up, as we count, it was a counter attack, the counter attack. He ends up finding find himself opposite end of the field. He ends up hitting a hard high pile driver, which ends up smashing the crossbar. So I mean, close for Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, you maybe next season it will, you know, start be like, you know, it started so high up and it's slowly but surely coming closer and closer to the net. So hopefully he can find the back of the net. Then 31st minute Arsenal then had a goal choke of by VAR when Rob Holding caught himself, you know, in an offside position as he bundled the ball over. Um, I mean, I was kind of wanting to complain, but I mean, when, <laughs> when they showed VAR, I mean, Rob Holding did make it. I was like, oh, it was way too obvious that he was now in the offside position. Uh, then, 35th minute, uh, Jakob Moda ends up blasting the shot at the Arsenal goal, but I mean, it ends up getting charged down quite quickly by the Arsenal defence. 
Yeah, Arsenal, you know, as much as they were going forward and, and, and dictating the game, I think they also left themselves, you know, very open at times. Like you said, you know, getting themselves in a two-on-one situation. It's just these little things that you need to iron out because against Brighton, you, you, you can get away with it. But if you know it happens against the Man Cities or, you know, Liverpool, even um, United, you, you can get yourself extremely punished. Yeah. And I mean, look, something we also mentioned about that, that Graham Potter as a coach. I mean, he's almost like ingrained into his players that, you know, if you get any little scraps, you kind of make that that team, you know, you punish him. So, I mean, we did ride our luck also over periods in a game that, you know, we were totally dominating for the majority of the game. Um, then 43rd minute, just before halftime, Arsenal again, Gabriel with a looping header, which ends up just clipping the crossbar again. So, I mean, bad luck going to the half. Yeah, at that point, you're thinking to yourself, you know, it's going to be one of those days, yeah. hitting the, the woodwork a few times, um, you know, not being able to find the back of the net. And, you know, Arsenal sometimes just come out the second half looking like a different team when they um, go in at normal. You know, bad or good, they just sometimes do the opposite of how they're doing in the first half. Yeah, the second half, uh, Brighton ended up making two changes. I was quite surprised at that. Um, but then uh, four minutes later, Arsenal tearing down the right flank again, and then Callum Chambers ends up sending a pitch of a ball to Pepe, who controls the ball calmly, and just smashes the ball between the keeper's legs, 1-0 Arsenal. With his weaker foot once again, and, and just shows you how, like, how he's maturing as a player. There's that, that, that subtle touch, you know, deft touch with his right, I mean, with his left boot to set up it for his right and it was a good finish. I mean, Pepe probably a few weeks back would have probably scuffed the shot or, you know, he, he did over the poles. But, you know, he was calm and composed. You can definitely see improvement in the player. I mean, he's playing more with a swagger. And I mean, I'm actually yes. watching him play like that. Because at times, look, when I sit down, I, I get frustrated with him when he, he dribbles with the ball. And you see him, like, you know, head down, not really watching what's the play. And then he ends up, you know, just losing the ball. Now, this time, he's almost like being more tenacious. He's like, even if he's getting robbed of the ball, he's still sticking his foot in again and again until he gets that ball, you know, almost like he wins it back. Or he loses the ball. And the way he surprises against Crystal Palace as well the week before, where he ends up losing the ball high up the pitch. And by the time you look again, but when Zaha's about to, to pull the trigger, Pepe is there, nicking the ball off his toes and starting up another attack again. Yeah, no, definitely. I think he's... He's slowly, you know, I'm not saying he, he's proved his worth, but yeah. he's slowly getting there. Because, I mean, if, if you look at his goals, you know, his goals tally, he, he probably, you know, especially this back end of the season, you're probably thinking to yourself, you know, I had this form kicked early on in the season, you know, where, where, where would we have been? Or if Arteta had, you know, put him on instead of William in certain games, you know, what would have happened? Yeah. So the 57 minute brighter than sorting bodies forward because I mean they also not kind of getting desperate because I think they're also feeling a bit embarrassed, you know, like you know, almost just taking all the punches and not really having anything to really count and hurt Arsenal. Like, Arsenal, of course, start taking advantage of the, you know, making the space in midfield. And I mean Odegaard ends up slipping in Pepe. And then I mean the Ivorian with a passing ball, he just caresses the ball into the far corner, two no Arsenal. Yeah, another, you know, just talking about Pepe now, like, he, he just has this, like you said, swagger about him, this confidence, and I'm sure he was probably wishing the season didn't end the, on the form he, he was in, and I mean, oh, just such a pity that the season, like, you know, the last game of the season and the back end of our while he was performing, but, you know, Odegaard also is probably one of his his better games as a as an Arsenal player as well, you know, dictating the game and and, and making some good passes. Yeah, because I mean, look, uh, Brighton also had the midfield pack. Because they have a thing went almost like, you know, same tactic as Arsenal uh, with a more defensive uh, feel to it. But I mean, they were also like plugging up the midfield. And I mean, Basuma was trying to get in tackles constantly there. But at times, I mean, Arsenal were that slick where they were almost like laying, you know, passing off, laying the ball off. And then that, that fast movement in midfield, which I just think should be almost like a catalyst for the, the, the drive of the team forward. Because... Passing and movement, is, I mean, it's always going to win you games. You look at any of the, yeah. the current successful teams, they're all using that same sort of tactic where they make it almost like unbearable just through the, the pace, the, the tempo of the ball gets slipped through the, you know, through the gears. And, and, and that is where we, because I think if you look at, at, at almost like say eight months of the season, 
or even nine months of the season. That just that transition from defense to attack at times can be way too slow. And I mean, you and I have been complaining about it so many times about when you, especially if you, even if you play a top team, if, if they know they've got the runners, they will put all the men behind the ball if you're going to play so slow. They're going to rob you of that ball and they're going to come in a sort of wave that's going to end up almost like a, a 5v4, 5v3 situation when you're really struggling to get yourself back. So that should be almost like the you know the blueprint for also the coming season like with the tactics. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you because that um that's how that's how you can take on the the teams that kind of like you said you know pack the the um or sit up the stall against you and I think we've been struggling against that because we've been playing you know a laboring game of, of football but you know if we can play parts and move get into spaces you we pull players all over the place and it opens up tight tight games for you so you know I think that's why you know little Emil as well was also important um um figure for us, you know, as it came in the season. But, you know, a team like Brighton will always come set up tactically against Arsenal. And, you know, it was good to see us uh, managing to find two goals and, you know, being able to still control the game thereafter. Yeah. In the 64th minute, Moda again unleashes a, a screamer which forces Lennon into a fantastic save. Uh, in the 23rd minute, Thomas Party again hits the crossbar after uh, Gabriel. <laughs> um, I mean, it was like just did not want to run for him in this game. Then, 74th minute, Arsenal then make a double change. Saka and Lacazette coming on for Smith Rowe and Aubameyang. And then, of course, like the last like four or five minutes, uh, Arteta ends up holding off Odegaard and brings on Martin Halley. But, I mean, by, by then, you know, the, the news was really filtering through that Tottenham had reversed the game at, at uh, Leicester City. And they were, you know, on the way to winning 4-2 and, and, and qualifying for the Conference League. Ah, such a pity, you know, that we didn't qualify for the Conference League. I think, you know, towards the end of the Arsenal game, um, I started watching the the Spurs game at, at 2-2, you know, hoping and, you know, holding my fingers crossed. Um, because, yeah, it, it was quite nerve-wracking when, like, hoping that, that Spurs wouldn't um, come back. But, I mean, by that time, it was just, like, too little too late for Arsenal. And I mean, that also cons- uh, uh, sealed our fate of ending eighth for the season for second season running, I believe. Yes, no, that's correct. Second season running. And I, and I really thought we were going to have a St. Tottenham's Day, yeah. you know, to end above, above them. But it wasn't to be. I think it was, you know, the, the, the season, you know, as you said, we were going to kind of, you know, do a review of the season. And the season, I think it was all about too little, too late, you know. I mean, you know, I could sum it up. I just want to say now, look, I just want to break the, the motion of it. I mean, actually go into what you're going to say, because then, I mean, we're just bl- blending ourselves into yeah. analysis of the season. So my point I was trying to make to you, and it's probably going to bring up what you were now saying now, which you can now, you know, repeat again. Yeah. Like, where did it all go wrong? That is like my first point I'm going to bring up. Where did it all go wrong? Oh, you know, uh, there were so many moments in the season where it, where it went to all wrong. I think, you know... Probably, you know, with the whole Aubameyang thing, him signing a new contract, but him not hitting the ground running, like him just kind of disappearing. I think players' attitudes as well, you know. I don't know if it was... Actually, the point to... I wanted to bring up, but yeah, that's great, great. Go on. Uh, I think it's the players' attitudes as well. It just seemed, and, and, and the rotten apples in the dressing room, it just seemed there was so much... This, there's no harmony in the team. It was just infighting, and... At, the attitudes weren't right, man. I mean, you, sometimes you don't need the best of players to have an attitude, but um, I think our team just didn't have the right attitude uh, at points in the season. And I, I know, like I said, also too little too late as well, because, you know, look, when we started performing, on we, we introduced Emil Smith-Rowe a little too, too little too late. We Pepe's form came too little too late. I mean, if, if all those things had clicked into place, you know, you, you wonder our form was too little too late. If you look at where we would have ended if the season had started in on Boxing Day, which, you know, is not necessarily there, but that's half of the season, we would have ended second place. We, 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 that, that run of games really killed us. And I mean, like, my point on to bring with regards to the season, like, um, you know, with, with, the, with point one where I said, where did it all go wrong? I mean, my thing, my take to you is, like, my opinion to you again on that is, do you think also the Aubameyang contract 
discussion was also distraction to the season. Like, you know, leading up to the, you know, especially with COVID, you had a shortened preseason. Then, of course, he still didn't sign it. It was like just, because for me, it was like him sending these signals out, like, you know, with the, with the, with the, the salt and the cooking time thing and all that stuff. You waiting out, you know, just get this thing over the line and, Look, I don't know if it was now both parties, like the club and Aubameyang, that were, you know, somebody was dragging their feet. But, I mean, the more this was going on, you don't know, should you be planning for a new forward? Should you be planning on actually seeing uh, Aubameyang get a bumper contract? And, I mean, this constant going, you know, back and forth, back and forth. It, it, for me, it, it, it was almost like a sort of distraction that you did not need. It was almost like a bite in your backside, basically, you know, with mean, this, whole, this whole taking your time thing and then... Aubameyang, like, almost, you know, not not hitting the ground running afterwards. You know, it was almost like, in your, like it was almost egg in Arsenal's faces. Because, I mean, you know, you're thinking this guy... And you can't look, you can't blame Aubameyang for, like, you know, how he, how he performed this season. Because, you know, he's bailed us out, you know, the past two and a half, three seasons probably. But I just think, you know, after signing such a bumpy deal, you're looking at that like, kind of a message it was all over again. And I mean, like, for me also, another point I want to bring up was, was you know, in analyzing the season. It's like, do you think, you know, like, with the signing of William, do you think that also, like, stinted the development of not only younger players, but also somebody like Pepe? Because if you think in that first, I don't know how many months, Arteta was almost, like, overlooking Pepe. I mean, Pepe was, he seemed fine. There was no talk or if any, uh, you know, like, niggles in it. And yet, William comes in from, from the dark and he just almost like takes over, you know, getting or just almost like walks into the team and without any real merit, but for past, you know, uh, you know, past reputation at, at Chelsea, which I think at the time, you know, when that even before that, that talk of the signing uh, was on the brew, it was almost like you were watching also a waning, uh, you know, Chelsea star. That because I mean, Chelsea all of a sudden, like Lampard was using him less and less. As the, that, that season wore on, and I mean, you can actually see he was now, you know, excess baggage now for Chelsea. It was like we end up in just taking again the sort of leftovers of, of you know, when we could have actually been developing not only our own players, but say someone like Pepe or someone like Reese Nelson. So you're taking away all that time also of, of people like that. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, William was probably one of the most frustrating players in the squad at the time. I mean, we. We continuously just were hoping every week that, you know, maybe this is the week, you know, this is the week, you know, he, he performs. But it just didn't happen. And like you said, you know, who knows when Pepe's form would have hit in if we had given him, um, had given him that opportunity to to play, you know, let's say he started December playing more and more. I mean, he would have probably been racking up the goals for Arsenal or, or racking up the assists because when he's on song, he can, you know, cause a lot of devastation. And he probably, uh, him and, um, you know, like so him and Saka or Emil, him, Saka or him and Martinelli on either flank, you know, can, can cause all damage um, for yeah. for um, Arsenal. And I just think, you know, the season we also had to shoe on players too much, you know, you tried to get... You know, the likes of Lacazette and Aubameyang in the same team. Um, you're trying to get um, the likes of Odegaard and Emile Smith-Rowe in the same team. I think it just comes down to, you know, people need to play for positions. You know, you can't just have to fit everybody in the team. If Odegaard is doing well in the number 10 role, then give it to him. If Emile Smith-Rowe is doing well in the number 10 role, you know, give it to him. You look at Arsenal trying to fit this play in here, fit this play in there. You don't see Man City really doing that. And I know they've spent you know, have much more cash than us. But, I mean, look at the players they have coming off the bench. You know, they almost have a, a second player. I mean, Bernardo Silva sitting on the bench sometimes. You see Sterling sitting on the bench. De Bruyne comes off the bench. So, they just have a all-round squad. And in order to, to win things, you need, like you always say, almost kind of that two players in each position. But, luckily, our squad, I mean, luckily, because of no European football, you know, there's, there's going to have to be competition for places now. And I mean, like my third and like final point with the analysis part of the, the third part, um, you know, with, with the, like I look at, you know, my biggest gripe with Arteta was that tinkering with the team too much. But I mean, you, yeah. as, as you now mentioned also in the beginning of the podcast, you can actually see a sort of run forming now that he's almost like sticking to uh, a more settled formation. 
where you can, you, you know, you can't alter it in game. But do you think he's gonna like say come with a new season? Do you think it's gonna be something like where it's like four two three one, say the the first choice? But then you also have like a sort of four three three attacking as a a plan B, and then you also have like a five two three formation, you know, five two yeah, where you can actually have almost like you have different different alternatives as well. But you've got almost like a fixed say three or four formations that you're gonna to go to to get yourself out of problems. But, but also, on to bring effect was a sort of formation that can get you out of jail if need be. Whether it's like you know, like the way back in the day, uh, Barcelona used to play, or sometimes Arsenal when they were desperate under Wenger, where they go like four to four. That was like a go-to where they would have you know the four strikers, not even four like with wingers, and four out and out strikers that, that are spearheading the team. But you see Arsenal with you know with just that the uh, formations have been now spitballing as well. Do you think that is also something that Arsenal or Arteta could be building himself around where he can have almost like, say, four guaranteed formations that he would use to almost like break down a team? Yeah, I, I think he should go that route. You know, especially, you know, that 4-2-3-1, it seems to be playing to a lot of the players' strength. So, you know, maybe that could be a staple formation for a lot of the games, you know. And if things aren't working, you, you can't tinker the team, but maybe set up the team so that, you know, the players on the field, you can't tinker with him, you know. If if um, Odegaard needs to slip into a more central midfielder, or I'm just using Odegaard as an example, or, you know, Martinelli has to play now, you know, much more attacking or, like, you know, kind of have your team that a formation change in the game is not going to, you know, need you to make substitutes. So definitely the 4-2-3-1... And they're going like at 4-3-3, you know, if things aren't working out. And almost if things aren't working out after your plan B, you know, and then, you know, throw the changes with your plan C formation of, mm. you know, do you go with your wing backs, you know, 5-3, or do you go that 5-2-3 <coughs> as almost a, a defensive formation to see a game off. So I, I think, you know, you, you should work with these formations so the players also know, you know, okay, this is plan A, this is plan B, this is plan C. Or even sometimes, you know, you say, okay, this is a, a tough game away from home. We're going to start with plan C and we see how it goes, no pun intended. And then kind of well, filter back into a 4-2-3-1 because the 5-2-3 is not working. So there needs to be those flexibility in the team as well. But definitely I feel there needs to be that, you know, one, one staple formation and a spin-off from that you know, yeah. until you, you, you break the team down. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, fine tweaks could also be, you know, the difference between being a game changer or just, you know, taking it on the chin. Because sometimes I also think, like, that, that's what I've always been hopping on on the podcast about having a real target man, like a, almost like a Giroud type uh, center forward. We can even go at times if, if you're really coming up a team that, that wants almost like, you know, go man for man, but also almost like golf smothering. We have the option of going, say, five for one, but you've got the a target man up front, and you just eat it like you play a route one football then. Until that team sees, okay, look, we having to chase back too often, we're going to have to alter our formation now. Where you almost like forcing your opponent to change his formation. No, I, I, I definitely feel we do need that type of forward that's going to, you know, batter you a bit as well. <laughs> and we get, we get, we have good crosses of the ball finally with TNE. Mm. And Callum Chambers, I know we're going to probably look for another right back, but I mean, Callum Chambers seems to also be doing the things there on the, on the right right wing position. But we do have good crosses of the ball. So I think, you know, Giroud would have probably flourished in this team yeah. like, if we had to be thrown into to do a job for us. Yeah. So now to switch our attention now to the player ratings. Um, look, there's certain players also I'm not going like, to you know, bring to consideration because I really think, say, say in the goalkeeping department, I think, but Ryan should have had like a wrong, uh, say a, a five game stint for us to not really yeah. give him a rate. But I mean, like for me, goalkeeper Leno for the season, I give him six. What's your take? What's your rating? I'm going to also go six point six. I'm going to go six point five. Yeah. Because obviously there's there's extra saves. Probably gave him that zero point five. But there was a lot of you know blunders we saw in in Leno compared to um, previous seasons where he was you know probably our top player. But I just feel that. I don't know, he made us feel like we missed Martinez parts of the season, actually. Yeah. You know, with the mistakes he was making. And I'm not saying, you know, he should be sold or, you know, he's not a good keeper. I just think he's the, the amount of errors that happened was just, you know, 
which is which is unacceptable. But you know, it did cost us at at times. I mean, that game against Everton, yeah. even you know, dropping that point so it was a silly goal to concede. And I, I mean, I think, yeah. I just found also like, my biggest flaw that I actually had with Ben Leno was his uh, distributional kicking because I found he was either kicking the ball into touch after he's ushering the players into the sort of corner of the field that he wants to place the ball in, or he would actually give the ball at times to people needlessly that gets him almost like into trouble. I mean, I know it, it has happened to him as well, where say someone like Jacques has put him under needless pressure, but if you think of that, that game of, of uh, against Burnley, yeah, he through him not taking the chance, like you know, just leathering the ball into touch or down the field, he give, he tries to be cute and plays the ball to Jacques, and by that time Jacques is almost like being closed down by about two people, which causes yeah. that blunder where he pen like Jacques blunders and kicks the ball into wood. He he kind of does it quite a bit. I mean, I don't even remember that season against Olympiacos, a last season against Olympiacos in the Europa League, where in extra time like we we would have probably gone through. But he gave the ball away for a corner unnecessarily or tried something to be fancy with the balls and then you know, conceding the corner and then them scoring from the corner. So, like you mentioned, um, Leno needs to work on his footwork, but yeah, 6.5 for him. Yeah. Beller and I give a 5. Your take on Beller? Yeah, 5 as well. I think, you know, injured a large part, like injured for the season, and also when he was playing, you know, he didn't set the world alight. I mean, you could see he was struggling. He wasn't the same value that we all knew and loved. So, <clears throat> I think five is a fair um, yeah. um, amount for him. They said that he could give a six, but I mean, I still don't know why he got kind of frozen out of the squad, in the, especially in the latter part of the season, because I still think he, op- he actually gave a better, um, you know, option to... Uh, you know, so Ballerin, sort of form Ballerin or so. So I really thought, I mean, he could have been playing, but I mean, he almost like, just got frozen out about it. So I don't know what's going on there. Six, six for me as well. I even would have used him as a left back. I mean, remember, we, 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 in the, especially in the Europa League, we we were, um, we were, but like, I'm not Europa League, but prior to that, we, 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 were, all time, we were all the time playing Jaka at left back. I mean, why not give Cedric a chance at left back? Because I mean, he was doing relatively well. Like he was growing in confidence, and he seemed a bit more of a danger than Paladin at times. But like you said, I wonder was there any beef or anything that uh, that happened with um, Cedric? And then I'll just do maybe um, Gabriel as well. While I'm at the defenders, um, Gabriel, um, I would give him a 6.5. I think first half of the season he was really stellar. I mean, I couldn't fault him really, but for some reason, I think after COVID or or something like when he had COVID, <clears throat> I think his his confidence to get to maybe struggled to get to fitness because he just kind of seemed like a nervous wreck at that point. So you know, every time he was on the field, he was making mistakes and blunders, which led to goals. So six point five for me. Gabriel, you were six. I mean, I still think. You know, he, he really has, I mean, also he's on his side to, you know, become a, a polished and accomplished defender. But I just think there were moments in the game where, look, he showed a high school seal to himself in that first part of the season, if you remember. Even if yeah, you know, yeah. the fouls weren't going away, but he was kind of carrying the flag for us. But then it was all like, uh, I think where I started seeing real cracks to his game was in that game actually where we were beating Spurs in the North London derby and they Spurs down to 10. And he's all of a sudden just, you know, last 10 minutes, he's lost all nerve in the game. <laughs> he ends up needless giving away throw-ins in, in, in positions where we're like attacking for Spurs. And then he also gives away needless corners again. And he just seemed ruffled without, you know, like you as a viewer or the fan, didn't really see that heavy sort of pressure by Spurs. And, you know, it's like he was making, his, he was becoming his own worst enemy on the pitch. Um, then into defensive uh, holding, I give a six for the season. Your take? Yeah, I, I think six as well is a is a pretty fair number because um, you know solid at times, but there were also times he was outjumped by Raheem Sterling or or something like like there were these the shortages was, of players and mistiming his jumps. There was other short players that also outjumped him. I remember one of the games where he had the the, the run on the guy, but. But his must time jump was so bad. I mean, the ball ended up just dropping on the guy's head. I, I just can't think now who it was that we were playing against. It was a short forward or short attacking player that ends up, you know, just beating him. 
just do the anticipation of holding this time is John. Yeah, I mean that, that that's kind of summed up his season. You know, he he is always like he 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 brought always the the worst out of Gabriel at times. You know, sorry to put it that way, but and then you know going to um, Paulo Marie. Yeah, I, I give him also a six. I mean, he, he came in very strong. You know, after his first, his first run of form um, when he came in, you know, Arsenal just could, seemed like they couldn't lose a game. But he also, like, you know, slowly tapered off with injuries and, you know, trying to get his fitness back up. And that kind of haggled him to probably get, uh, he probably would have gotten a 7.5 to an 8. But, yeah, 6 for me with him. But he gets a 7. I mean, he's become almost like my favorite over time. Um, but, you know, he's not really somebody that, you know, wants the headlines. It was just somebody that, you know, rolls up his sleeves, get the job done. Uh, what surprised me a lot about him was that sort of turn of pace that he has because, if you recall that, that Leicester game, we already thought Vardy was off and running. And, I mean, he ended up just keeping up, not only keeping up, but then, you know, using that old-school defender way of just leaning into the forward. No, like, you know, no dirty play or anything. So that really, you know, one big, big up respect uh, from me. Um, then, uh, David Luiz, I'll give a seven. I still think, I mean, look, I know you and I don't rate him that highly, but, I mean, I just think, he has almost like been that sort of, uh, almost like, uh, you know, that bond that was kind of keeping the team together. So whenever he was going missing, or he was like injured or something like that, or suspended, you could actually see he was missed, or his range of passing was missed. Yeah, seven for me as well. Just like, as you said, that range of passing was almost a, no pun intended again, like an arsenal to us, you know, in, in our artillery, that being able to use that, you know, those long balls over the top, you know, defense, defenders couldn't press too, too high up the field because you would just lobby and, you know, a, a, a Bamiyang or Saka would get onto the ball. So, you know, seven for me and, yeah, but unfortunate, you know, not fortunate, unfortunate, but sad to see him go, even though, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, time has come for him and, um, yeah, and then, Kieran Tierney, I'm going to give an eight. You know, he was, whenever he was on the field, you know, probably barring that uh, Liverpool game where he got skinned like that by Salah. But um, I think for most part of the season, he was consistent. You know, that goal he got in the Europa League as well when we were battling against Benfica, you know, really, really meant a lot to me. Um, and also, he's just becoming also one of my favorite players at the club. You know, passion, defense, and we miss him when he's not around, surely. Yeah, I mean, I give Tierney a seven. I just think the injuries have actually ravaged his season. But I mean, that being said, you know, he, he's not only made an impact on Arsenal as a club through his, you know, that, that tenacity and that heart that he has. But I mean, if you look at the way now that he's a regular international for Scotland, it's also making him mature a lot because. I mean, he's now being used as a, uh, you know, the usual left back. He plays left wing back for Scotland. He even plays at times left sided centre back for them. So it shows, I mean, he's growing leaps and bounds. And I just think this is the sort of player that Arsenal should be, you know, not only owning the, the, the investment on, like, you know, see that you keep him long term, but also start building around, let him be your, your, your main foundation to start building a successful squad that we all, you know, all us Arsenal fans want and then, and, and, you know, want to reach at that heights again. Um, then my final point on the defenders, uh, Callum Chambers, I give a seven. I mean, if you think, I mean, I don't know, there's just something about him I've always held close to me as an Arsenal fan because especially you sort of feel it. I mean, if you, like, I mean, Aiden, you've also played football and when you had a, a bad injury and you're out for easily like a year, and you, in that time, you're also having a setback from that injury, the very injury you had. And then, of course, having to go through the academy again, like, you know, sitting up, playing uh, under 23 games and that. And then you see the sort of, just the sort of fight that he comes with into a season where, you know, he comes out, out of the blue. Because at one point, if you think about it, going up to, to January 2020, uh, yeah, 2021, sorry. He was not even, I mean, you would see him in the training videos, and but you would never, every time I, he was almost becoming the forgotten man. Then, you know, Ballerin ends up, I think, injuring himself again, that recurring injury from that, uh, his return. Cedric, you know, doesn't really set the world alight on the, at the right flank in that, a few games. 
dynamic kind of change come, comes in and almost, all of a sudden he consolidates that high tech position. So, I mean, I find it truly amazing. Yeah, I'm also going to give him a seven. He reminds me of a modern day Kafu, the way he basically yeah. gets up and down. And his crosses also, I don't know if he's been working with David Beckham, but his crosses, crosses and decision making is quite good. Like, you know, he's always evolved in assisting. And remember that game against West Ham when he was also, you know, causing them a hell of a lot of problems. And even um, with Pepe. Um, Pepe's first goal, that composure looking up and just saying, okay, I'm going to eat the 45 to Pepe and, you know, top-notch, um, you know, play from him coming in from the dark and, you know, he definitely could be the right-back that kind of challenges, you know, you bring in as also a right-back, but he also adds a lot of versatility to his game. I mean, I'm sure if you stick him in the middle of the midfield, like, you know, defensive mid, you know, to see a game off, you can use him there and so... You know, he adds a competition and, and moving in the right direction of almost two players in each position. Yeah. So now, swing our attention to the midfield. Uh, Granit Xhaka, give a seven. Your take? Yeah, no, seven as well. At, at, he, like, funny enough, besides that errors he made, you know, which cost us, actually. Um, but in general, you know, normally I used to always complain and moan about Chaka, but but this is I couldn't fault him really much. And even when he had to go do a job at left back, he did a very competent job for the team, yeah. even though he wasn't bombing down the wing, you know. And you and you could see the only left in the midfield when he wasn't there. So yeah, seven is a good a good number. Um, party for me, you know, I'm gonna give him a six. Yeah. Because he was, you know, he came in his reputation and started off well. But you could also see the glimpses of his game that, you know, he can make a, be a game changer for Arsenal. But also, um, you know, there the are parts that flaws to the game, that inconsistencies, that passes he makes, that silly rash challenges he makes. You know, he, he thinks he has time on the ball still. So, yeah, six for me. Uh what was it, Thomas? But yeah, I also give him a six. Uh, yeah, he's. I, I don't think he came with a bigger a reputation, and I think we. I don't know. Maybe it's us. You know, the demand is us goners that we. You know, we just wanted to eat the ground running. Though we were like, so with Pip, uh, Pepe, sorry. Uh, but I just think to myself, you know, when you when you see that glimpses, you know, showing more and more as that that, that last few games of the season were going on, I'm just thinking to myself, I. I mean, gut feeling. I just think he's going to come back. Maybe, like, you know, analyze his own season, like his own performances, and probably come back, you know, double as strong. Because, look, he now knows you can't just try to wait and look for a foul, you know, for, for body contact. You're going to have to drive. And, I mean, the refs in England, they're also allowing more the game to flow than it would in, say, La Liga. So, I think that is, is going to probably be a big jumping character for him for the coming season. So, I mean, I'm... You know, we're also excited about it. Um, then Aldini, I'll give a six. I just think, you know, as much as you want to write him off, but I mean, when there's certain games you want to see out and that he really is the man to not only like, you know, hassle and harry people into, you know, laying the ball off or playing the ball into touch through pressure, but it's like he's got the ever, there's almost like an like a energizer, energizer bunny where you just can keep on, keep on going. Um, that being said, the, like the real flaw to his game, and I think that could eventually, you know, maybe be also the end of his Arsenal career. Is like just the manner in which he slows the game down, and I think at times it comes with like you know the worst times when he does that, where you can see the the runners going left and right of him, or even straight ahead of him, and he'll you he don't he doesn't have the confidence to just think, okay, I'm gonna sit you through with a through ball or whatever. He hangs on the ball too long, and I think that could be his biggest flaw. Yeah, I'm also going to give him a six. I mean, as you mentioned, I mean, uh, exactly, the, I have the same issue with him. Slows the game down, you know, he, he can be a bit rash at times, but a lot, like, you know, he also has a lot of positive aspects to his game and he's a good player to add into your squad, you know, if you want to maybe, you know, go away from home, 60 minutes, you want to try to just keep it neat and tidy, you know, throw him in a three-man midfield with party, and if you and Xhaka, you know, kind of just to you know work together as a unit to to, to just kind of keep the score at zero zero or a one one little lead or hang on to something. So, mm-hmm. you know, he he had his performances that stood out. I think it was at the Stamford Bridge and and also against at um, Man United Old Trafford. So 
six for me. If I go to then um, Danish Ceballos, I think I'm going to give him probably a five. I mm. mean, he... He, I actually was hoping we would have signed him on after the he ended the last season off. You know, he ended up really strong, but he just came back this season. You know, was not knowing his position in the team, and when he was playing yeah. as a centre mid, he struggled badly. And I still have flashbacks. You know, of him in the Europa League against Benfica. You know that <laughs> silly tackle first that gave away that free kick they scored, and then also that. Against Benfica, we didn't know what he was trying, and they nipped the ball off him and went to go to go score basically to make it 2 1. And then at the red card against Villarreal, which could have you know surely derailed us, even though it wasn't his fault, you could see him you know really battling against against that fourth of uh, that Spurs player on loan at Villarreal. So you know, really, five for me is I think what he gets. Uh, seven is it's a four from me, I just think. Uh, work ethic was poor is, I mean, if you think the main reason we got him for his creativity and then, you know, little to no assist, I think it, only the first part of the season, I think he, he nipped in with an assist or something, but other than that really not active, not the goal threat either I mean, I was expecting at least you know, anything like five plus or whatever goals from him uh, you know, very disappointed because I mean, it's almost like a sort of loan that Started out brightly, as you said, that first part, and then they come the second season, it's like he's gone like full tennis Suarez that we wonder like. But I think you nailed it on the head there with he also didn't know his place really in the squad because it wasn't like Arteta also did not know how to make use of him then. Um, Martin Odegaard, I give a six. I just think, I mean, for me, six is like you know the average, but I just think it could have been way more if he had, you know. Being more braver because I think he sometimes hides too much in games. I mean, look where the team is going to sit, and then you'll see him dictate and 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 you know dominate a, a midfield. But when the team goes toe to toe with him, then you can or a play a certain player goes toe to toe with him, then you can see he almost like kind of shies away and rather lays the ball sideways or back. And I just think he's got it in his locker to be you know braver, be more tenacious. And I mean, if we do extend his loan, I mean, good for us. And I just hope he then kicks on from there. Yeah, I'm also going, like you said, uh, a six because just because of, like you said, there were games he, he took by the scruff of the neck, but there were games also, you know, where you asked yourself, is Odegaard playing? Throw in with a few injury niggles as well, which made him miss, um, you know, big games for us as well. Um, you know, he did get goals in the North, in North London derby, and I think he also got the screamer at Olympiacos as well. So, you know, those, those stand out for me. And I think, um, yeah, that will probably be a six for me. And then Emil Smith Rowe, I'm going to give a 7.5. Yeah. Actually, no, sorry, let me make it an eight. You know why? Because um, that the, the impact he made when he came into the Arsenal side, I think, was probably a catalyst to, you know, changing the season because all of a sudden he gave the opposition something to think about. You know, he was pulling people out of place. He was always assisting. And, you know, immensely getting onto the score sheets as well. So, you know, I can only see this player going up if, if given the opportunity and he continues to stay injury-free. I mean, I'm laughing so now that you told me about the 7.5 to 8. Because as we were talking, so just starting with the midfield, I was actually then scribbling in the 8. It was a 7. <laughs> because, as you said, that if you think... The sort of trajectory we were going at, which was like really dipping, uh, going to December, and he comes on, it's sort of like a breath of fresh air. All of a sudden, becomes the sort of, um, I'm not saying a new position, but you see the sort of player that's running between the lines of defense and, and attack and causing all sorts of problems because the midfield don't know whether to track him, the defense don't know whether to close him down. And just through that confusion, it looks like opened up the game for everybody in the team attack-wise. Yeah, definitely. It just he was a revelation to the side. So yeah, that's why I have to, you know, give him that the eight instead of the seven point five. So now should I attention to the attack? Uh, William, I give a four. I still think. I mean, look, I don't want to beat the you know a dog to death now, but <laughs> from the start, I mean, this was already a nightmare. I think the whole recruitment policy really let the club down as a whole because I still think. You know, you bring in these players to come almost at the wrong time because it's not like the, the uh, 
younger players are really learning off them. If you end up, you know, you the player like William, losing the ball and that, and I mean, yeah, he shone with that little perfor- or that little cameo that we scored the free kick and that. But I just think when you think of, of the sort of slog that we had this season, where younger players have had to, you know, dig us out of the trenches, where like, and I mean, look, I'm not just you know, going to pinpoint you now, but I mean, where the seniors were almost like kind of taking the back seat, and the youngsters were, you know, playing their asses off to to get us to a certain point or a level of uh, football or position we want to be in. So I mean, I really very disappointed. What was your take on it? Yeah, four as well. It was. You know, that's why I gave Sebeos for me a, a bit of a higher rating than, than William because William was just poor. At, like, you know, like you said, that first he came in the season, you know, had three cup assists, followed by, you know, almost a whole lot of nothing up until that free kick against. Um, but he was a top assister, funny enough, or, or close to it. In the at that one stage, he was a top assister, but um, other than that, you know, he never offered much, you know, but probably giving me a, a grey hair or two with his frustrating um, when he came on the pitch. I mean, not doing anything to, to spark the game to life. Um, for me, Bakayo Saka gets a nine. I mean, if he's finishing that to be, you know, a bit better, I think he probably would have gotten a, a ten, but that's always to be worked on. But I just think, you know, when he wasn't playing, you could feel it in the Arsenal side. And, you know, he was always the one trying to make something happen. You know, he got us that penalty against Villarreal when we were on the ropes. Um, you know, there were just countless assists that he was involved in. So, you know, uh, big things are coming for him and we need to tie him down, I think, to a massive long-term deal to to keep him at the club before other clubs come sniffing and he doesn't want to sign a contract. Yeah. Um, then, okay, my take on Saka is 8.5. Um, I think... He had a, you know, hell of a strong first part of the season. Really, really strong. I mean, uh, it's almost like he, you were looking at him the same, you know, at that time when Emery, he was almost like, you know, Emery's Hail Mary when, when we were also having, you know, going through this, this sort of dips and, and, and that. And he comes in and he's like a breath of fresh air. He almost like was carrying the team. And, and you can actually see our dependability on him was taking its toll on him if, when you look at 2021. Because... Especially, I think, around about March or so, his passing was getting a bit more sloppy. Um, you know, and, and look, it's not like he's not trying, but I think just mentally, if you put so much weight on somebody that young, it, it takes it so the same way United have seen it with, with Mason Greenwood, where you're throwing somebody in, in the you know, deep side of the pool, and they're like, look, you're going to have to get your way out of this now. And I just think it happened like that with us, where he... You actually get the tight, and, and uh, we do have a, a serious concern with him. It's like if he gets not called up by England, and the Euros are in European Championships are in about two weeks' time. Uh, for me, it is a worry because he is somebody that, that's still so young, and you're thinking to yourself, you know, you need like a, a solid, you know, a, you know, a break away from football, and then you come back stronger pre-season. But I mean, let's see also how that plays out. Yeah, no, I, I, I just hope we don't have the same thing with Wilshire. You know, he, he played almost all the minutes and he was Mr. Dependable. And then, you know, knock after knock after knock and he just couldn't get his form back. Uh, then Martinelli, I give a six. Um, look, yeah, he shows everything, you know, in little bits of, you know, the runs he gets. But I just think to myself, look, I think in his mindset also he believes he could be... Uh, main strike, and I think when we have seen him in that position, when he's given that opportunity, he doesn't show that he, he's actually caused more havoc as, as a left winger, and I just have a feeling, uh, not like we, yes, it's the attitude of Maitland-Niles, who you know, believed he, he was a winger, who believed he was a, a central midfielder, but then kept on falling short there. I just I don't see that in him, because he's somebody, he will take the game time where, it, you know, where it's possible. So, yeah, a six from me, from, like from me to him, but um, I think there's still way more to expect from him because he does show that hunger and desire that you want to, to go with for a new era in the club. Yeah, 6.5 for me. Um, you know, so, same thing as you mentioned, you know, he, he has the ability, there has been games where, you know, he, he stands on his head, but yeah. he also, you know, lacks a bit of the composure sometimes when, he's, when he has, I don't like he gets too excited and he like, you know, misheats his shot or 
you know, over scuffs his shot. I think it's just slow, slow his mind a bit, and yeah. you'll be a, a really top notch player. And I think, you know, I also think he, he works better out wide. I mean, he, he doesn't like seem to have like good hold up play. He, he seems better running at the defender than receiving the ball with his back to goal. Um, but like, I think he could work in a four four two maybe. And I'm not saying that we must change the formation to a four four two, but the four four two works with him. Somebody that you know can maybe play. He can play off. So so yeah, I I do think there is big things to come with him. But yeah, six point five for me. And then um, Pepe, I'm gonna give a seven point five because I think um, he he really turned his season around. You know, from being a you know, uh, you would say a bit part player, you know, for me, I was always the first one to, you know, complain when I saw him coming on or I wasn't too impressed with his attitude at times. But it just seemed like he he's changed and become a whole new person and a whole new player and a whole new signing, actually. So, 7.5 for me. Uh, Pepe gets a 8 from me. Um, I just think, you know, we uh, Saka had... Uh, 8.5 that had a strong first part of the season. I think Pepe really, from 2021, January 2021, he really came through strong. I mean, really strong. Because it showed us a different style to his play. He started showing, you know, glimpses. Oh, look, I'm not going to give him this, like, say, a pass. Uh, how, you know, where you're sort of questioning that, that sort of fee. But I just think myself, he, he's showing the glimpses of, that sort of ruthlessness that he had at, at Lille, because not only he's driving now, but he's driving the team forward, but I mean, he, he's almost like opening the, the, the door for other people also, like, and he's yeah. also not really that selfish of a player, because when he does see, uh, he can, can play somebody in, he will play that person in, but I mean, fantastic the way he's, he's changing form, I mean, I'm really happy for him. Um, then, uh, Lacazette, I give a six, um, I still think he was doing a lot of work. I mean, of course, to a degree, there were certain games where we could have done more, like, you know, in the attacking sense, because sometimes I think he ends up also choking his shots instead of, you know, just like freeing his mind and just letting go. Um, older player I found fantastic, you know, compared to anybody in that uh, leads the front line. So, I mean, I was really impressed with him. So, but I, I think he... You know, sad to say, but I think he's probably going to be the one that we're going to let go because since he does have sort of resale value on him, so I think we're probably going to lose him probably in the summer. Yeah, I think I'm also going to. I'm going to give him a six. I think, like you said, his older play was really good, and and it did kind of give us a good um, catalyst to to build from when we were attacking because you know he he held up the ball and he and he kind of. Uh, he brought in what the Bamiyang lacked, and I think when he, when he picked up the injury, it was actually what we missed when when he like how can I say to the latter part of the season, like you know against Villarreal, I think we could have used him because he started bagging the goals for us, and then um, Bamiyang, I uh, I will give a five point five. Um, yeah. I just think that you know after this whole big contract signing and everything like that, this whole. You know, there's a whole hype behind him, and I think fans thought, okay, you know, this guy's gonna take us to the to the promised land. You know, yeah, he, like you know, it's unfair pressure to to have put on him, but I just think you know, he, there was so much happening also in his life, which you can't actually blame him for, like you know, with his mom and you know the the, the malaria and all that. But we kind of really um, missed his goals, and you know that there was some important message that he had, you know, if he had to be a bit sharp, I mean, that one against Villarreal comes to mind that when he was, you know, goalkeeper to beat, but I think he scuffed his shot or, or he kicked it against, um, or the player defender just got in the way or something like that. But that could have also been a turning point completely to make it 2-2. Yeah. Uh, yeah, five from me as well. I mean, I don't have that much to say since you, you know, mentioned it, but I mean, for me, just a, a really underwhelming season for him. Um, and then finally, Eden Ketia, I give a four to because uh, I, I just don't see. I mean, I, I don't know. Look, he came through at, at Chelsea, let go by Chelsea, then we end up taking him and that. But I just think his older players was like near non existent. He doesn't really have a turn of speed that you need as a centre forward. So, I mean, maybe he could do better at, at the other club. 
find the you know with, with better support or something like that. It was players around him, but I just think with the sort of brand of football Arteta has in his mind, someone like Eden Kitty is just not something that's going to fit into. Then I mean, it's what your you know your favorite line about square holes or square pigs in the round holes. It's just not going to work. Yeah, no, I'm also definitely giving him a four. You know, whenever I saw him on the field, you know, I never really thought he was going to do anything special. Or, you know, when you, when you saw him leading the line, you never felt confident that he was going to, you know, get the result for us or, or get the job done for us. I just think, you know, Arsenal, the style of play doesn't suit him. And he would maybe better also be played with paying with a, a Olivier Giroud, possibly in a 4-4-2 type formation. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's that's all I have to say about him. Then that uh, the almost like our award section, uh, <laughs> play of the season minus Bukayo Saka because I just think even just being, I mean, of course eighth, but I just think we would not, we would have probably been way worse off if he didn't turn it on that first part of the season. At, at least, I mean, look, we had quite a uh, mediocre first part of the season, but I just think he kept us, you know, that that sort of touching distance of. Being in the right half of the table, not the wrong half of the table. No, yeah, definitely my play of the season as well. Pagayo Saka. Um, I, I, I just love the guy at the club. Um, so, yeah, I think without him, as you said, we could have seen ourselves, you know, a bottom half team of the table. Yeah. Then for me, goal of the season was Kieran Tierney against West Brom. I just found, I mean, I just like it. I don't know, it kind of throws me back to the old school with, with a. You know, left back coming in and then, you know, chopping the ball inside and just smashing it with the right foot. I mean, I love goals like that. Uh, I'm going to go for Odegaard against Olympiacos. That was a real balter from him. And, you know, set the tone for us for for, for the things to come for the tie. So, yeah, that's my goal of the season. Uh, my blunder of the season, Lena was everything in a game that we were dominating. And I was like, I was probably one of the rare attacks by Everton. He ends up just spilling the ball through his legs. I mean, for me, that was also a big dent to, you know, morale. No, my, my plan of the season, uh, it's probably going to be the one of Sebayos against uh, Benfica. Luckily, it wasn't uh, a bad, like, you know, it didn't turn into a, a terrible result, but that could have, you know, really killed our season at that point. So, yeah, <laughs> definitely that. Just onto that quickly, just to just divert a bit. But which game was it? Was it Benfica also where they ended up with a route one ball and he watches the ball and the ball that, just doesn't move? That <laughs> was it. He tried to control the ball or something and he just like, oh, I'm under it. His pass. It was that. It was that game. That that that, that blunder I'm talking about. That led to that guy running one on one with Leno, yeah. and I couldn't believe it. Like he, he oh, it was it was just making me think about it. Makes me mad. And I mean, this is my final little point. Was for me disappointment of the season. I mean, for me about my young because. When you think of the sort of reputation it came into after the FA Cup win, and then also, like, you know, steering us with a with a uh, community shield as well as that first game or so of the season, we, you know, he looked like on fire, but then uh, almost like everything just petered up. But as you said, you know, I mean, you almost like summed it up early on, where he also had a lot of things to him, like, not only personal life, but also just form in general, just like tank. Yeah, I'm going to go that same route with disappointment of the season is is Aubameyang. You know, had he been, you know, I'm not, we're not playing him for where we are, but, you know, if he had been the the, the same player he was last season with Pepe's goals added and Lacazette's goals added, you know, who knows where we would have been in the league. I think add maybe, you know, probably nine points because of his goals were always won games for us. Then, I mean... Like as we now wind down the, our final podcast for the season, um, what to look forward to to the new season? Oh, at at, at this point, it's very t- difficult to actually, you know. Yeah, the the one thing I can look at is probably Pepe's form. You yeah. know, hopefully he can carry on through Thomas Party. Hopefully we can, he can become that beast of an Atletico Madrid. Yeah, and hopefully we can see a fit Kieranti. But I just hope. You know, Arsenal come with a new, fresh approach, you know. Add proper players that can fit into the squad immediately, like a Basuma. Um, Hopefully, we get our attacking midfield sorted. But at this moment, you know, it's for me, I, I can't... I, the only thing I can look forward to is the clean slate and the new start. But nothing yet for me is telling me, you know, the season is going to be a, a a change to what happened this season. I think the new form base, the 
the top form we ended off the season with is hopefully uh, we can paint the picture. But I, I don't want to get my hopes up too much. I just think, I mean, my take is like, you know, I just want, you know, Ateta to now do his next stage of, you know, faltering out players that he does not need. And then also allowing them the players that he now wants. Because look, the, the spotlight is on him as well to have players that he not only wants, but can also like guide and steer us forward and bring back that, it was like that winning sort of attitude again. Because I just think there's been times, uh, not there's been times, there's been a lot, loads of times where you can see Arteta has got the sort of idea in mind what he wants the team to do, but they just don't, re- don't react to it because how many times have you heard, almost like with Luckers and we said, we had a game plan and that almost like went out to the window after five minutes. You can't have people like that on your on board, you know, if... if and I'm not trying to say, oh yeah, it's Luckers, but I'm just saying in general, the squad, you need to have a sort of a group of, of players that you know you're gonna, you know that's going to go to war for you. It's not going to just sit back and you know try to give hand over responsibility to somebody else. You need real, like leaders all over the pitch now, and I think that is the only way forward now. Um, I want to also now just wrap up the podcast. We, I don't know, just thank the listeners. I mean, I know we don't have that many, but I mean, we do try. Um, we want to maybe try a different sort of approach for next season, like you know, as, as you brought up, Aiden, about looking at the YouTube option. Maybe yeah. that also also help us expand it somewhat. Um, I mean, uh, sometimes it, I mean I'm not I talk from the heart now, but I mean sometimes it, it is a bit difficult. Like when you think you put your time into do this, and I mean you don't get the sort of feedback that you yeah. really want. I mean I just hope things do get brighter than if if we you know go the to the YouTube route as well. Because look, we also just two guys that are at love Arsenal, but you know want to talk like you know almost like that. Uh, pub type talk where you can sit and just chat and you know just let everything out and you know you don't have to be uh like vile or abusive or whatever but, i mean you can also let some steam off and, and just let go and, and say yeah. what's on your mind without no, any so, or whatever I, I agree with it like the feedback thing as well you know like it would help us or know you maybe the the listeners can throw in topics that you know we would discuss or you know maybe they have a thing that they also wish that you know, what's our thoughts on, you know, maybe the formation we're playing currently or, you know, the tactics we're currently playing. You know, we can maybe break that down as well, just just so that we can also give the listeners, you know, what they also want to hear. Because I know we, we're giving, you know, what we, what our talking points, what we want to talk about, but maybe the listener wants to, you know, throw something else in or give us, you know, throw us um, a fact in that they picked up or something that, that can also be very interactive and engaging because we like you know we, we're talking between the two of us but like you said we also want to it's very casual you know there's no formalities behind all of this yeah so look with that i also now to want to kind of wrap up but um look you can always find us on on almost like all podcast platforms you can also find us on on twitter on instagram i believe you also have an account yes no? yes so i mean Look, we'll probably keep you guys updated, but I mean, we're going to now also have now time off with our family and loved ones. Yeah. Um, we're probably going to be back about roughly July, because I know that our first preseason game was, I think, about July 17th against uh, Glasgow Rangers. So we were probably from anywhere in July, but I mean, just kind of check up on our, our various social media stuff, because normally Aiden will know, like update that. So I hope you guys have a fantastic, uh, you know, rest of the weekend. Enjoy the time of enjoy also the the now European Championships in two weeks. Take care, guys. Stay safe. We love you all. Bye. Stay safe, guys, and thanks for all the support.